Hello from the ABC Music Talk podcast. This will be the first episode where I'll cover something related to the COVID-19 pandemic that we're all experiencing currently. But I hope it will be useful and relevant to those in the industry rather than just more of the same. But first, a reminder to go rotor your videos. Rota is for artists, managers, labels, or anyone in the music industry who needs to create video content for promotion or monetization. Rota makes it fast, easy, and inexpensive to do all of that in one place. Head to www.abcmusic.co and click the Rota logo on the homepage to access a 10% off discount for the service. Now, my guest on this show is someone who I've mentioned on numerous panels I've done over the past last few years and has also been mentioned on this podcast before. He is someone who spends his days trying to help all in the music industry makes sense of the variety of artist and recorded music related data that we all sift through on a daily basis. Welcome to the show, CCO of Chartmetric, Chaz Jenkins. Hi there. Hello. Very is, good to be here. Is it? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I guess so. Right. <laughs> it's good to have people to talk to, to, to talk with when you when we're all isolating in the in our own little confines. That's very so. true. That's very very true. That's very very true. Um, okay, so this this podcast this episode's come about um, uh, in part because we're mates, and two because we had a little exchange, and you started to share some of your thoughts around some of the data that you're seeing uh, as we're all you know in this lockdown and in this sort of current climate. But first, can we learn a little bit about yourself? Uh, because all my guests have to tell their their sort of origin story. Um, and also, please give me the elevator pitch for Chartmetric. Now, my origin story was I started off uh, promoting nightclubs and pop concerts. Eventually found my way to um, setting up record labels, um, indie labels, that is. Um, I'd set up indie labels both in pop world and in classical. I spent a long time working in classical, which is great fun, even though I know absolutely nothing about classical music, so ignore the piano in the background. It's, gonna... just, it's, just, it's just a prop. We, we, um, come on, we, we just had an exchange about bassoons and oboes, so don't sell yourself short. I know, I know you know this stuff. Yeah, I, 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 I actually can't read music, so, so I have no ability to read music. Um, and um, after, after running indie labels for a decade, I worked for Universal for a while. Um, and then over recent years, I consult quite widely with record labels and artists, but also, you know, I've always been obsessed by understanding the market. Um, you know, in a sense, everybody has to understand the market. And from my point of view, especially having set up indie labels, starting off with next to nothing, you know, you know nothing. You know nothing about your marketplace. You know what you want to do. Um, if you're going to succeed, obviously, you've got to have great music. You've got to be working with great artists. So if you're an artist yourself, you've got to have real commitment. But also, you need to understand the marketplace um, around us. And obviously, over the, you know, I set up, I actually launched my first record label, The Week Napster. This is the original legal version of Napster launched in July 1999. Oh, and and so and obviously over that period there has been phenomenal change in the music industry nothing has really stood still and so from my point of view you've got to understand the marketplace you've got to understand what is happening how consumers are listening to music because we've gone from a point 20 years ago where to listen to music people had the radio or they went to a record store and they bought a piece of plastic which had music embedded on it. Um, today, the way people consume music has completely and utterly changed. And understanding this is critical if you're going to succeed and connect with an audience. And if you understand it, you can achieve wonderful things these days. You know, um, back, you know, when I was a kid 20 years ago, well, okay. 30 years ago um the you know the average did you just run out of fingers (laughs) (laughs) run out of memory um the uh you know if you go back 30 years ago um you know an artist starting out would release a bit of music if they were really really lucky they had to play lots and lots of shows and hope some record label a and r came to one of their shows and heard them and loved them and saw potential in them and released a piece of music would put them in a studio and released a single and that single would be released in one country and may sell a few hundred copies if they were lucky and if it sold uh, if it sold reasonably well then maybe a second single with the record company had paid for after that and in the long term there might be a deal 
There might be an album, there might be a second album, and then ultimately, after the second album became successful, the artist, the record label might decide to release the artist's music internationally. They might license it internationally. That has changed completely. Yeah. And these days, you can be a kid in your bedroom, making music on your own without the need for a studio, without the need to ever play live, and you can release music globally within 24 hours. It's such a fundamental shift for musicians, and it's such a huge shift for consumers and how they can listen to music. But as a result, it's created lots of what we call data. Yeah, it's created shed loads of data. I was going to say I wasn't, I wasn't going to swear. So I said shed yeah. rather than shit loads of data. Well, I'm, glad, I'm glad you didn't just swear there. <laughs> <laughs> Goodness, honestly, everyone in the music industry absolute potty mouth, myself included. Yeah, it, to put it into simple terms, the average consumer created two points of data a year thirty years ago right. because the average consumer bought two music products. You know, bought two albums or CDs, or bought a, an album and a concert ticket. That's how much create data was actually created, and the music industry got to understand things from thirty years ago. Today, the average consumer creates almost 20,000 data points per year, which can be listening to a track on a streaming service, watching a video um, on YouTube, um, or liking a post on Facebook, or, or unliking something as well, because we can measure this sort of negative sentiment yeah. which people might have for certain music these days. So, so there's so much more data these days, and all that data can be joined up, and, and ultimately, if you can join up all that data, you can understand the marketplace in uh, ways which was never really possible before. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and also, I, I mean, the digitization of information as well. I mean, I, I've worked for uh, you know a few record companies in my time, and I remember getting the sort of the paper statements come through with all the kind of like the different. You could have like one album, but they would sell it at different discounts in retail and things like that. And and you know to try and pick through all of that from like a wad of paper that had these multiple lines, it was just impossible. So no one ever did it. Yeah, I mean, in a way, we've all the music industry has always been a data industry. We've always looked at our sales, and we've always had, you know, market data. We've always had charts we can look at, and mm. um, these things to help us understand the marketplace. Um, but the marketplace is just so much more complex now, Absolutely. and there's so much more data. Well, as is Do you still? As is reflected by the mm -hmm. charts. I mean, the, the charts themselves yeah. have had to kind of continually evolve. I mean, it's it's fascinating yeah. to sort of watch them sort of struggle with, I guess, consumer trends that are affecting kind of what what is deemed popular. Completely. This this used to be a local industry. Mm -hmm. Sure, uh, there were a few artists who were global stars, and there were a few record companies who operated internationally or globally. Um, but fundamentally, it used to be a really local industry, and because. Really, fans only knew people in one place. You know, me, I got my, when I was a kid, 20, 30 years ago, yeah. <laughs> um, I got my influences from my friends. My friends sort of like, what my friends like informed what I would like. Mm -hmm. And I had five friends, yeah. sorry, four friends. I was a fifth. So I had my circle of friends was five people when I was growing up. And you say that to young people these days and they think, God, you're weird. Yeah. Um, but that was sort of like the reality in the pre-digital age. You actually knew relatively few people. Um, and, and invariably, they lived really close. All my friends basically lived on the same street. And so this the circle of influence which I had around me shaping my musical taste when I was a kid was very, very localized. And that was the same for everybody all around the world. Everybody had really local influence in the job of record companies and people who promoted music was just to find ways to promote generally through traditional media to inspire fans to tell their friends their friends who lived on the same street today people don't have friends who live on the same street you know people have friends who live all over the world circles of influence are absolutely vast these days and nothing is localized mm. everything is globalized and so in a sense the way to think of it is you know all of this data which is created by these people by people interacting whether they're talking about music on a social or they're listening to music on a streaming service all of it is available globally and in a sense can be knitted together um, to form some gigantic net around the world where essentially you can see how everything is joined together 
it's almost like the chaos theory. A butterfly flaps its wings in Papua New Guinea and and it rains in New York. It is sort of similar to that. The way places who influence um, music we listen to these days, you know, it can be global. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's incredible. Okay, and so uh, sorry, there's a there's a click I think on the on the sound. I don't know. If... That's me. Oh, that's you, is it? Okay, sorry. Right, okay, no, I was just, I, just um, I wasn't sure what, what was causing it. Uh, it's you, just you clicking. Uh, so um, uh, it's my brain. <laughs> so okay, so now we're now we're in a state where we've got all this data, and so so along mm-hmm. comes chart metric, right? And and yeah. and starts to build this incredible platform, and and perhaps. I can just kind of just because I use it myself, you know, uh, one of the companies that I work with, we use it um, predominantly around uh, sort of making A&R decisions. I, in, in short, it's a, it's the it's the easiest way of understanding where an artist is at at the moment. But it can also help you understand how they got there. And that can then yeah. obviously uh, indicate where they're perhaps heading to. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's you know, it's it's, it's sort of like this. The format is like kind of one page per artist and it, and it pulls stats from from socials from dsps so things like playlists and these sort of esoteric indexes You've got airplay You've got tv appearances sync placements live events and it also sort of served up in these charts and geographic heat maps and lists and benchmarking against similar artists and demographics and timelines and specific insights are pulled out it's, i mean it's incredibly powerful as a tool and, and it's so simple because it's all just kind of in one one place mm. uh, i mean is, is that yeah, yeah i mean yeah, I mean, the aim is very much to bring in as much data as possible. You know, so we want to find sources of data which tell us about how people have been influenced in terms of the music they listen to and and use that to, in a sense, determine how artists develop. Now, we present it all on a really nice dashboard. You can look at the website and you can see everything separated. You can see data from Facebook, Spotify, Instagram, YouTube, Apple Music, Amazon, etc. All nicely presented, really cleaned up and presented nicely on the dashboard. Behind the scenes, we're looking to how, uh, all the ways to how to join up that data. You know, in a sense, we're a machine learning company. We don't just want to know the data. We want to know how the data relates to each other, how what happens on one service, um, how a consumer interaction or engagement on one service can influence what happens on another service and on another service and on another service. So, and a human being can't do this. You know, our brains, our brains are pretty good at determining what is happening um, on a very limited scale. Um, but on a global scale, when we're looking at 2.2 million artists and we're looking at services which have hundreds of millions of users, yeah, our brain simply cannot cope with this volume of data. I and mean, it is. And so there is the term big data. Yeah. You know, it's how to, how to build databases which don't just bring in data from one place, but bring in all sorts of data from multiple places put it all into not put it into silos but to put it into one gigantic vat and then to understand how everything joins up within that vat yeah i, I mean you, and, you, and you do it incredibly well you really do um good so all right so that i think that hopefully that gives a uh a good introduction to chart metric i'm sure yeah it does. All, right, good. <laughs> all, right, well, all right well let's let's get into it then so um so you, you, you kind of sent me a few notes, a few of your observations. So I'm just going to sort of like just walk through each one and we'll just sort of wrap mm. each one as we go. Um, so does isolation mean people will listen to the same music as, as, they, as they would normally do? Um, it's, we're fundamentally interested in trends, how people are listening to music, how people are engaging um, with music. And yeah, I mean, it's quite, quite clear that, you know, with lockdowns, People's taste in music, what they're listening to, how they're listening to, when they're listening to music does change. I mean, just to pick on one example, you know, morning commutes, so much consumption of music on streaming services, audio streaming services, is done by consumers when they're on their morning commute, especially in Europe where, and Asia, where large numbers of people commute by public transport. You know, they're listening to Spotify or they're listening to Apple Music. Suddenly you take away that morning commute. 
and pe- what people listen to changes. Yeah. You know, a lot of people, for instance, will listen to upbeat music on their morning commute, or might listen to downbeat music on their evening commute, or might listen to specific genres. Anything which, in a sense, for them personally, individually, means something at that that particular point in the in the day. Um, when they're, however, sat at home listening to music, that is very different. Um, and also, it's important to remember that that is not the only trend happening um, in terms of commuting, because there's huge numbers of people who don't commute. Um, there's huge numbers of people who are still um, who are still working, but fundamentally, their jobs are often changing because of the um, you know their work patterns have been changed by lockdowns, and so there's huge trends taking place, which are shaping, in a sense, what people listen to. You know, typically, go on. Yeah, I mean, another one that, I mean, you know, you and I, we both got kids and, I mean, they're all being essentially homeschooled by their various colleges or schools. And I found that they are extending their education days because they're kind of a little bit distracted during the day. There's not really as much pressure around kind of, <laughs> I know, right, kids? Huh? <laughs> I was just thinking extending. Are they really extending or, or dramatically shortening their days? <laughs> oh, well, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, my, mine seems to sort of, mine seems to sort of, you know, intersperse their, their days with, you know, bits of, you know, computer gameplay or YouTube watching or whatever. And they just wouldn't, they wouldn't have had the opportunity kind of, you know, when they're at school, right? Because it's a much sort of stricter and more formal kind of setup. And, and I honestly... <laughs> would love to be uh, that type of parent that, uh, you know, makes them do stuff, but you know, they're, they're really good at arguing with me. So I don't, um, <laughs> but I, so, cause I, I had heard a report that, um, things like the daily commute had actually in countries like Italy had, had, had seen this sort of 15 to 20%, uh, you know, drop off in terms of streams. Um, but, but interesting sort of in the same breath, the same sort of commentary on this was that it actually may not affect revenue because subscriptions are increasing. Right. Yeah. I mean, in theory, you know, if you take a single individual subscription service, it operates as a closed system. So, you know, people often in, in record labels often obsess about the per play rate. You know, each month, how much is a play worth? Mm-hmm. Um, and the more listening that takes place in an individual month, the less people get played, the less people get paid, simply because if you assume that it's a closed system, and and there is the same amount of revenue each month mm-hmm. okay um and so if listen if overall listening goes down as a result of covid it doesn't necessarily mean that the amount of um the amount of revenue that artists and record labels will receive will go down it will by and large remain the same as long as the subscription number of subscriptions remains the same um Obviously, it will change if the number of subscriptions goes down. Mm-hmm. If, because of COVID, people decide they no longer want a subscription or they no longer want a subscription to Spotify, but maybe they want a subscription to Netflix instead mm-hmm. because they've got more time on their hands, they want to watch TV rather than listening to music. Yeah, that would have an impact. Um, and But also, there are trends around the world. I mean, you have to remember that you know, predominantly it is Western Europe, North America, and certain parts of the rest of the world, which are really affected by lockdowns. A lot of Asia is starting to come out of lockdown a little bit. And and so it's not necessarily the case that commutes are not happening anymore. Mm. And also you have to remember that Asia, you know, is growing much faster for subscriptions anyway, audio subscriptions anyway, than Western Europe and North America. So there's multiple different trends taking place, some of which have been happening um, for many months or years before COVID-19 struck. Others are new um, as a result of COVID-19. So these all fit need to fit together to help people understand the market. But I think, you know, probably the most interesting trend which we're seeing overall at the moment is a quite stark and noticeable fall in the amount of frontline pop music being listened to and a general rise in the amount of, um, you know, moody music, background music, classical music, things which people, music which people tend to listen to either, you know, um, for listening to whilst they're working or listening to from uh, really for solace or comfort music. 
And is this, um, is this, um, is this in addition to their normal listening habits? Do you think, like, you know, cause, cause we, I mean, we, we got a note, um, through, through one of my clients, um, and it came from Spotify and they said that actually the sort of the, the frontline versus catalog thing in terms of that metric hadn't really changed a lot. People were still interested mm-hmm. in frontline releases and we'll, we'll talk about how that's affecting kind of release schedules at the moment. But, um, but do you, do you think that that, that sort of that background music, that moody music that you were just talking about, is that additional listening or is that replacing their, their interest in sort of upbeat pop music? Um, I, you know, this is where it gets a little bit murky and you have to take it, um, a different view and realize that not all consumers are the same. Of course. Different consumers will behave in different ways and you need to um, step back and look at the trend, which is part of what we do at Chartmetric. When I worked in labels, you know, all the time, you know, we would look at numbers. And often you would talk to somebody where some, somebody would come to you with a gigantic spreadsheet and they focused in on one individual little number in the spreadsheet and said, look, look at this. <laughs> we need to change exactly what we're doing because of this. And, and you need to say, whoa, step back. Yeah. Step back and try and look at the whole picture. I'm, I'm laughing because I've had that experience. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and uh, so... Uh, you know, there's multiple trends. And also you have to remember that record labels are already changing their release schedules. You know, a lot of labels have canceled or cut back on frontline releases. And so to say that the amount of frontline listening is, um, is uh, falling, um, you know, you have to see, you, you know, you can take the view that that is because of people not commuting. And that is the music which people might listen to when they're commuting. But also you could take the view, well, without lots of frontline albums being released and artists traveling around the world doing radio and TV promo, really pushing their new content, without that happening, it's natural that frontline may fall, uh, may decrease. Um, are people replace, are people sort of, is, is listening to moody music additional? Um, to people's previous listening. It will be for some consumers, undoubtedly. For other consumers, it won't be. You know, some consumers might have gone the other direction. So uh, there's there's multiple different trends taking place. And, you know, often it's a case of stepping back and seeing the overall picture. Yeah, um, which, you know, and, and you guys are in a really unique position to be able to do that as well, which I think is rather wonderful. Mm. Um, okay. So, so release schedules, I mean, this, I mean, this is, this is like the sort of the topic, uh, du jour at the moment, uh, certainly in, in one of the companies I'm, I'm involved with a lot of artists are quite rightly, uh, worried about the fact that they can't do certain activations. They can't perhaps, mm. you know, uh, you know, get that photo shoot done get that video completed you know get back into the studio and finish it off in the way that they might want to to finish it off uh, or even if or even if everything is done the fact that they can't get out and do live shows do a you know a kind of showcase or whatever it was that they sort of had in their head of what their rollout plan was going to look like and you know a lot of this is coming from the artists themselves it's not just coming from from the industry right um and so therefore they're just going oh, let's put it off for a month or two let's see let's see if this all blows over um, but I mean, from what I can tell, most of the industry are saying, don't like keep it going, keep the new releases going. And I've, I think I'm sure there was something in the news recently about especially indie artists. You know, this is a chance mm-hmm. to kind of kind of win because some of those bigger campaigns where they've spent so much money in the setup are now being delayed. Um, you know, a, a friend of my manager's the 1975 yeah. and I know that they've just put theirs back. And, you know, it's like maybe that's an opportunity, right? I think for you know for some for some artists who are dependent you know whose promotional activity is traditionally traditionally revolves revolves around touring, um, lots of radio play, and you know TV and radio promotion. Yeah, they may work, and and also artists who really still value physical sales and see lots of revenue coming from physical in the um, in the past and wanted to hope that it's going to happen in the future again. You know, for them, there's this really strong argument for putting back the album. I think for any artist who wants to grow, um, um, now is the time to really do things. Yeah. Um, you know, fundam- we've been track one of the trends which we're very interested in, when, which has been developing really for you know, for 20 years, ever since digital really came along, is this idea of what's called trigger cities. 
and the consumer one, behavior one, one is... of one of my favorite subjects please let's get into this i like because I, I i i pretty much I, I i spoke to you didn't i and then i've i've re mm. i've retrotted out your your wisdom uh, and passed it off as my own uh at a few panels over the last year actually that's not true i've always credited you with it um but yeah this this is great please let's do I this one i think you intuitively knew about it because so many people intuitively knew that consumers don't behave exactly music consumers don't behave the same in each country you know but consumer behavior is very different all around the world um you know and, and in general and what we did with trigger cities is we were simply looking for mar the markets or the cities in particular around the world where artists grew more quickly where new artists emerging artists really built audiences more quickly and what we invariably found that it was that for emerging artists, um, in other words, artists who wouldn't get on television, who wouldn't have huge advertising budgets behind them, the places where they built audiences most quickly, most cheaply, most organically, tended to be in Latin America, Southeast Asia, Southern Asia. Why? Because consumers in these markets are fundamentally more social. They use social networks and we like to think in north america and western europe that we use social networks we don't really use them not in the way that 80 percent of the world's population uses social net networks and you know this trend isn't just in music this trend is right across all different um, business sectors you know fundamentally our use of socials in the west is predominantly based around the idea of state what am I doing? What are my friends doing? What, I, what is happening? This is funny. This is important. But for people in the rest of the world, their use is much more based around, you know, their social activity, their network of friends, supporting their friends, loving their friends. If their friend likes a new artist, then you support your friend. You show your love for your friend by promoting that artist yourself, even if you can't stand the artist or have never heard them. If your friend really likes them, you promote it as well. You share it, yeah. And so this this sort of trend in social behaviour um, really is helping shape music, and it's particularly important for emerging artists, artists who don't have an existing fan base or followers and want to grow their followers. Find the places where your music engages and figure out how you really encourage that growth. Not necessarily by getting on a plane and going and doing concerts in Manila. You can't even do that at the moment. Um, but how do you just better engage with the audience on that side of the world? And if you're not putting out music, you're not going to engage with an audience. Yeah. So, yeah. so there's a really strong argument for emerging artists to actually use now as the time to really do something productive. You know, at a time when probably other record labels and artists are thinking, well, we should put back our album release because we can't tour. Um, so, and one of, the, one of the other trends and why we think is really important is, you know, over the past few years, we've been really interested in trigger cities and we, our interest now is really growing in trigger demographics okay. because that behavior which consumers have, that's so much more social behavior online which consumers in many parts of the world have it's not that that doesn't exist in western europe and north america it does most definitely exist in those in um, those places but it tends to be more limited to specific demographics especially younger demographics demographics who are you know completely digital native have grown up with this technology and also fundamentally have grown up with streaming services you know, yeah, of course. for many, for people of my generation, um, you know, in a sense, most people look at Spotify or Apple Music and they see them as modern proxies for a record store. We used to have Tower Records or HMV. We don't need them anymore because we've got Spotify. Um, but we always think in that context. Well, whereas that, young that, that was in part because of the way that the Apple Store kind of launched where they were, mm. re were replicating the kind of the physical Absolutely. and the digital. Yeah. yeah. And so, and so much of what happens on many streaming services, less so on Spotify and YouTube, um, but on, on a lot of streaming services, they're still trying to replicate that physical store experience. Um, and, but of course, that younger demographic, the, the 
teenage, late teenage audience, you know, that demographic doesn't know what a record store is. And of course, from, of course, not entirely coincidentally, most people in the in those trigger city markets, you know, it's not that they didn't have CD stores in their cities, but CD stores tended to be much smaller. And they tended to in places in Southeast Asia and Latin America, they tended to be smaller stores and they tended to really only stock local repertoire with one or two international artists. And so those consumers now suddenly have a choice of all the music in the world. Yeah. And, you know, and and for and for them, streaming services have so much more in common with a social network. Fundamentally, they live on the same. They live in the same place as the social networks, which they use to communicate with all their friends, mobile phone. So, so for younger demographics and trigger cities populations, you know, um, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube—they're not modern proxies for a record store. They're just an equivalence of a social network. Yeah, no, it's 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 absolutely fascinating. All that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I think. Um, a lot of the the talk and the excitement in the the Western music markets, which is always sort of uh, you know felt very elite about their their own development, are looking at many of these markets, you know, like Brazil and whatever, and getting all very excited about uh, the opportunity around music. And and it's I think I always feel like people talk about it as if to say. Um, Oh wow! Look, they're all listening to, to to music now. It's like no, they were always listening to music. Just, we were never able to measure yeah. it before. There was no legitimate kind of business there from a recorded music point of view, and now there is, and it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Basically, there's no borders anymore. There's yeah. just differences in in cultural and social behaviour around the world. Yeah, and, we're, we're, um, and, we're, and those. Are, and we're starting to see a, a change, aren't we, in terms of like the dominance of actual language? You know, for, for forever it had been kind of English language, um, you know, dominating the sort of the the, the, the charts and the rest of it. And, and now, of course, we're not. We're seeing uh, you know Portuguese and, and Spanish and, and all sorts of yeah. Korean, of course. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these days, really, there is only one country in the world where you have to sing in English. And you know, for for so many years, the music industry was always taking the point of view that oh, you'll never become an international star unless you sing in English. These days, there's only one country where that still applies, and that's the UK. Um, <laughs> even even in the USA, language really doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. And and you know and and language has never mattered in much of the world because you know most of the world is totally used to artists singing in English. And an artist coming, even if even if and even if the people in that country don't speak English. You know, that doesn't matter. It's all about the music. It's all about the artist. Mm. And um, and so for them, when an artist comes along singing in Korean, you know, it's not so unusual. And so, you know, language really is not so important these days, most definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, so uh, one, of the other, one of the other things you mentioned was um, the increase in radio listening that's been going on. I guess that kind of relates to what you were kind of saying earlier about that sort of back, that increase in, in sort of background moody music. But it, yeah, this is the, the more the lean back customer, right? What, what are you well, doing? It's not necessarily that we see a, an increase in radio listenership happening. If anything, there's evidence that there's a decrease in the amount of music being listening listened to on radio at the moment. Right. Most probably if people shift to listening to more news and current affairs. And what's really interesting is this trend was um, this trend and also the trend in terms of um, moody music. Often it's been replicated in the past um, at times of sort of when there's been a natural disaster, um, you know, notab notably after September the 11th. You know, September the 11th had a fundamental, ch fundamentally changed, um, fundamentally impacted on CD sales in the USA, the type of music people were purchasing. Um, there was a growth in music which people were listening to more out of solace or concern people want safety first people want things which are less edgy yeah. at times like this um and with radio you know fundamentally consumers don't program radio consumers program what they listen to when they listen on streaming service or when they buy a cd mm -hmm. but with radio it's dependent on what is actually being programmed and radio stations around the world are fundamentally changing what they're programming um, because of what is happening with COVID. I mean, a lot of stations, they the number of plays per hour has decreased because their news, their, their hourly news 
has extended. And then consumers who would normally listen to music radio, but perhaps listening, spending more time listening to talk radio as well. Yeah, right. So, so it's a, there's, there's a shift in what is happening in radio. Whether that will make a difference to um, how artists will promote their music, it's, I don't know, it's slightly open to question. It's too early to tell whether it's having a significant impact. There is sort of a, although we get data from radio stations literally within minutes, um, radio trends, what is being programmed, tends to lag what is, being, what is happening on streaming services. Because, you know, um, you have to remember that, you know, for streaming services, a huge amount is programmed by the service. Um, the editorial, the editors at a service, but far, far more programming is done by essentially consumers themselves and consumers' friends. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, what you listen to is fundamentally determined by what your friends are listening to. Yeah. Um, radio sort of ups this because you know radio radio is responsive to the marketplace. Radio producers and DJs are spending huge amounts of time looking at what is happening in the marketplace and and of course trying to reflect it in terms of the music they play on radio but also you know trying to discover new things trying to lead taste and shape the market um, but there is sort of always a slight lag in terms of radio programming yeah uh, I, I, you know you, you've got me thinking now about kind of you know like the, we I don't think anyone really knows where this is headed, right, in terms of sort of how quickly, you know, the world will recover. And so, I mean, because you, you kind of gave a little caveat when you, when you sent this information through where, where you were like, look, this is a constantly evolving, constantly changing thing. It might all change by the weekend type of thing, right? Um, but ultimately, at some point, if this becomes a sort of the status quo, as in we're all on some form of perhaps not as severe social distancing and, you know, uh, not maybe a lockdown, but like at least, you know, like we can't actually get past this because it's too infectious and, and, you know, it's perhaps, you know, two years away before, you know, a vaccine can be created or whatever, right? Because I know these things take time. You know, what does that mean for the music industry and like how they start to adapt and change and and think about how they are going to actually promote, um, you know, and, and does things like radio suddenly become slightly more important than it used to be? And do we sort of go back to the old world a little bit where that was kind of the only thing that you you needed to sort of break the record out? Um, I don't know. I mean, it... in general, you know, one of one thing I always found frustrating about, um, always found frustrating or confusing sometimes with the way music was marketed was that people would spend a lot of time doing exactly the same thing they did yesterday. Right. You know, it's sort of um, many. I once worked at a record company where on my first day there, they said, do you want to see the marketing reports? I said, hell yeah. It says marketing on the door, bring them in. And they came in 15 minutes later with a stack load of paper. I was like, shit, paper. (laughs) And and I looked through all the paper and and it was um, streaming reports, sales reports, download reports, all of that record company's own repertoire, not of anything else in the marketplace, just that record company's repertoire. And I said, okay, uh, did you have the marketing reports as well? And they said, yeah, well, when you test no, those sales reports, those are revenue reports. They're not marketing reports. Um, And they they were completely confused because they they fundamentally determined how they marketed music by repeating what they did yesterday mm-hmm. and last week and last year and even 20 years ago people still used what happened 20 years ago as a blueprint for what could happen today and the world has changed and you know and what we're seeing now is you know a need to be even more fleet-footed than you've needed to be in the past i was never really interested in in looking at yesterday's sales um, you know, obviously you always, you know, when you were running a label, you need to know what your revenue was. Otherwise you probably got a business pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, but I didn't like using that information to determine how we marketed what we did because essentially, you know, I, I knew every sales figure from yesterday and the day before, because 
that every sales figure was exactly the same. For every track, for every single artist, it was always exactly the same number every single day. And that number was not enough. Yeah. The number not enough. And you can beat your forecast five times over. It's still not enough for some people. Yeah, um, and really, it shouldn't be enough for you. If you only beat forecast by five by by five hundred percent, why didn't you beat it by six hundred percent? And if you're looking at yesterday's sales, you can't. You don't have the answer for that. You have to look outside. You have to look at the marketplace. Yeah. You have to see what it is which consumers are engaging with, how they are engaging with it, and how they are discovering new music, and how you know what is best practice today because best practice changes all the time. Mm -hmm. And so you have to look outside to really discover this. And and you know fundamentally, you know fundamentally with um, the coronavirus crisis, you know. Now more than ever, it should demonstrate that you know what happened yesterday is not relevant today, and you know what happened yesterday may never be relevant at all ever again. We don't know, and so the best you've got is information about what is happening today, what understanding what is taking place in the marketplace, and constantly being fleet of foot and agile, and able to be really responsive and hopefully predictive about what is going to happen in the marketplace. I like that. That's quite a positive message because I, you know, I think, I think there's a sort of, there's a bit of a fear. <laughs> there's, there's a bit of a, like a, a worry, but actually what you're saying is, well, you should, you should, you should have always been doing it like this anyway, which is paying attention, being current and, and looking at the data and being data informed. Right. Yeah. And, and this is where, you know, strangely, I mean, this is sort of like a slightly bonkers theory, and I'll get into lots of trouble, I think, for saying this. You know, marketing people in the music industry are not particularly good with the marketplace. Um, you know, <laughs> oh, that, that's going down as a tagline in the show notes. Yeah, because, you know, so much of what marketing people we do as marketing people in the music industry is determined by what happened yesterday, which is sort of not necessarily what happened in the marketplace a and r people sort of actually are sort of better um traditionally understanding the marketplace because it is you know so much of a and r is intuitive it's sort of like being able to listen to something look at something and decide whether it's good decide whether how you could make it better, how you could find the rights of a songwriter for an artist or the right producer or how you can find the right artist to sign. Yeah. You know, to do that, to make good decisions in A&R, you absolutely have to understand the marketplace. And, you know, really, A&R people have always used data. I, I take, you know, I, they've... Yeah. I, I, <laughs> let me, let me let, yeah, sit with it for a little while. Yeah, yeah. They've always they've always been good at data because, but you know, not necessarily data in a in a format of a chart metric or big spreadsheets. Just they've been good at absorbing data in the form of information about the marketplace, how people listen to music, what is big in the marketplace, who is touring, how well their tickets are selling, etc. All this stuff is the sort of stuff which A&R people knew. And they absorbed it, they held it in their brain, and then they used it to make a really, to make really smart decisions. And those smart decisions were called what we call gut instinct. Gut instinct in a sense, your gut, great gut instinct is fed by a diet of data. Love this. Love this. Yeah, I mean, my uh, my recent experiences, I guess, over the last couple of years where I've been uh, actually uh, in an A&R team and, you know, some literally the best in the business. And and it's to me, it's a little bit like witchcraft, like the way that the, these, <laughs> these, these guys and the girls that the, were part of this. Day. I mean, I was on a three hour call last night, what we call a creative A&R call, where people are playing some of their new music that's coming out and they're, you know, and the, the team are sort of hive mind critiquing it before you know we kind of mm. sort of move on and you know and there is those sort of moments where you know from a data point of view data isn't as you say just like kind of sales reports it for, yeah. for these guys it's oh you know who should get on that because so and so is connected that way and is part of the community yeah. and and again it's just that sort of complete understanding that you know can only come from you know experience and honestly just paying attention i think yeah yeah data data doesn't mean just spreadsheets 
basically. Definitely. It doesn't mean just databases and spreadsheets. You know, data means all sorts of different pieces of information which you can absorb and join together and make a good decision based on. Yeah, I've seen so many people make this mistake, you know, like people that come from outside the music industry coming into the music industry for the first time and they've, you know, they're perhaps technology focused, shall we say. And and it is just that kind of absolute belief that, yeah, if we can, you know, sort of slice and dice the data, we can be the best and make, you know, make a platform that yeah. will teach the music industry how to be better. And, and just kind of look at them just... It's like, okay, you guys don't get this at all, do you? I understand that you've created a data visualization tool. That's fine. That's cool. We might use it, but that's not really what what this is about. Yeah, it's it's sort of there's no one magic number which will tell you everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you need because it's a re- marketplaces are complex places, and you have to. And if there is a number which you think is important, then you need to understand why it's important. You know, why is a number that particular number? It's looking at the number doesn't tell you anything unless you understand why it is that value. And, you know, often it is because of multiple different things. And so you need to understand all those individual things to understand why that number, one number you really value is so valuable. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Definitely. Um, good. Well, we've sort of come up on time. Uh, so, really? Wow. Uh, so do you have... That's the first time ever. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I, I mean, you know, you and I can always talk forever, but um, uh, I, as I said to you earlier, I've been trying to keep these episodes uh, to a certain time so that people can actually get to the end of them. Um, uh, but do you have any kind of closing thoughts? I mean, was one of the things that I don't know that we completely uh, got to was um, in terms of like the, the COVID-19 the pandemic... Mm and how it is being sort of, uh, you know, uh, well, we, we're starting to see the reports of China kind of getting back to normal, for example. And so it's mm. changing geographically from that point of view. Uh, are you tracking to like the, the kind of the, the geographical impact of the pandemic against music behavior and, and kind of watching that ge- very specific geographic change? Yeah, we, we, we do a huge amount of research behind the scenes. Obviously, you know, a lot of chart metric is not what you see. It is um, a lot of data science work joining data together. Um, but also behind the scenes, we're actually doing research, trying to understand the marketplace and how things are affecting the marketplace. You know, what has to be said is uh, I'm, 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 trying to, I'm trying to always be upbeat. You know, naturally, I think I'm an optimist. Um, you know, this is, you know, you know COVID-19 is incredibly challenging for huge parts of this industry. The live industry has been decimated. Yeah. And, you know, people are really feeling that pain in the live industry. You know, the live industry will get going again after this crisis. But when that end will be, you know, people really don't know yet. And even as companies, countries start to emerge from, um, from you know, the pandemic, what travel restrictions will be in place? local and international travel restrictions because they will have a big impact on touring and so you know we are a long way from being out of the woods yet um and you know but eventually you know things will evolve the pandemic will die down and you know what will the future of the music industry be it could be the same as the past it could be something different i think it probably will be a little bit different And I think a lot of people, and I hope, and you know, and I think, but it will be a place, there will still be a music industry, most definitely, a thriving music industry. My one concern more than anything else is, no, I have two concerns. First of all, it's for um, people who work in the live industry, because for them, they're really hit super hard by all of this. And we have a lot of users across the live industry, you know, who are basically, well, some are battening down the hatches, some where they've got the flexibility are really thinking, right, we've got to innovate so that as we emerge from this, we emerge already running. Um, the other thing which concerns me is emerging artists. You know, um, you know, streaming continues. Streaming sort of like is weathering the storm quite well. Mm. But that only really helps directly a relatively small number of artists. The number of artists who actually make enough money from streaming to live on is quite small. Yeah. And, you know, fundamentally, 
most artists depend on doing lots of other things to support themselves, you know, which can be playing live, can be doing session work, can be doing writing camps, can be doing absolutely all sorts, including just having part-time jobs working in an office or working in a restaurant or whatever. And for them, it's much more difficult. Yeah. You know, they're having a tough time. And that is fundamentally going to affect their ability to really grow as an artist as well. Um, so that is one of our concerns more than anything else. It's just to ensure that, you know, um, people, that, that, you know, as far as possible, there are opportunities still in the marketplace for people, for emerging artists to really get through this crisis. Yeah. Because if we emerge from this crisis without emerging artists coming through, then, you know, music, the music industry will struggle to grow. Definitely. Definitely. It'll be a harder road. And yeah. There we go. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, that's, that's great. I mean, I mean, I guess in some ways we're sort of almost kind of going, remember that, that story that you told at the beginning about how you couldn't just kind of put, put records out there uh, on your own before you kind of needed the, the, mm. the record industry, you know, to sort of pick you up and take you, take you on the journey through, you know, through A&R, through record companies, through live and radio and all the rest of it. It almost feels like we might end up back in a situation where, you know, despite the fact that we've got DIY distribution platforms and we've got, you know, or anyone can put their music in a record shop, so to speak, uh, these days, um, mm. it, it, the, without some of that additional ability to promote yourself, it, it just starts to, you know, it starts to feel like you might end up going back to, to those that perhaps can afford to pay for advertising and, you know, infiltrate kind of consumer, you know, awareness in, in ways that, is much more related to money or like big relationships and, and influence and all that kind of stuff. I don't know. Yeah. That, that big spend, that big media exposure, all those expensive marketing things, you know, in the past that used to break artists that used to make mm -hmm. stars, but over the past 20 years, it, it, it's that big leverage, which only a few companies had matters less. Um, especially for emerging artists, it still is important and it's still the thing which can take something which is huge and make it even more mega huge and bigger than huge. Yeah. But from, fundamentally, you know, ultimately the best form of marketing, the most powerful form of marketing is still what it always used to be, that word of mouth, that network of friends, getting support from followers, and you know if anything that is that has been just amplified over recent years and that is that lives on throughout COVID. Yeah. you know the the opportunities to do the big things are greatly diminished but the opportunities to do the small things they still exist and if anything you know they're more important than ever heightened. yeah no very interesting good okay well wonderful cool. so we're gonna make it which is great that's a good that's a good. <laughs> yeah <laughs> it'll just be a little bit different but as it always is it's always changing good okay cool. well, well thank you so much Chaz. i really appreciate your time I thank you for having us on greatly appreciate it oh, excellent um so okay. uh, to my listeners thank you for listening i welcome all feedback comments and suggestions for future shows my twitter is at alex branson uh, put podcast dm in a message and i will follow you back and we'll have a dialogue or alternatively go to the website which is www.abcmusic.co and you'll find a contacts page there with an email address on thank you and i'll catch you on the next one